Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our interior lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Each season, we'll read through a great work, explain its spiritual principles, and help you apply its timeless wisdom to your life. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Confessions by St. Augustine. A few reminders before we get started. To download the reading plan for Confessions, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text CONFESSIONS to 33777. Click follow or subscribe in your podcast app for daily notifications. This is day 39. Today we will be reading Book 10, chapters 16 through 21 in the Ascension edition of the book. We wanted to take this opportunity to thank everyone who has helped support this podcast financially. Your support is so appreciated and helps us to reach as many people as possible. And if you haven't already, please consider supporting us at ascensionpress.com support. Okay, before we get into the reading, a quick look at what we're covering today. Recall that St. Augustine is searching for God. He started with the world and then his body, and then he proceeded to consider whether God is present in his soul as he ascends to the height of his soul with the mind and the memory. And in this section from which we're going to read today, he's going to spend his time on memory and then like the difference between image and concept. So again, we've got some involved philosophical discussion, but it can be very delightful to work on those discussions, to draw some comprehension from those discussions and profit in turn. So I wouldn't worry about 100% comprehension uh, because he's going to be appealing to certain kind of uh, ancient philosophical schools and their understanding of how things work. But yeah, don't let that trip you up. Just focus on some of the little gems that you can mine from this here mine, and then we'll be able to set them in a beautiful crown in coming chapters. So let's go ahead and get started. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Chapter 16. Now, when I name forgetfulness, and moreover recognize what I thus name, how could I recognize it if I did not remember it? I am not speaking of the sound of the name, but rather of the thing that it signifies. If I had forgotten it, I could not recognize what the sound signifies. Therefore, when I remember memory, memory itself through itself is present with itself. However, when I remember forgetfulness, both memory and forgetfulness are present. Memory by which I remember and the forgetfulness that I remember. But what is forgetfulness if not a privation of memory? How then is it present in memory given that when such forgetfulness is present, I cannot remember? Now, if what we remember is held in memory, and if we did not remember forgetfulness, we could never recognize the reality signified by that very name when it is used. Then we must say that forgetfulness is retained by memory. Thus, it is present so that we do not forget it, though, when it is present, we are forgetful. We must understand this to mean that when we remember forgetfulness, it is not present to the memory by itself, but instead by its image. For, if it were present by itself, it would not cause us to remember but to forget. Who will search this out? Who will comprehend how it can be? Lord, what toil this is for me, and it is indeed toil within my very self. I have become heavy soil to be tilled with much sweat upon my brow. For we are not now investigating the expanses of the heavens, nor measuring the distance of the stars, nor looking into how the earth is balanced. It is I myself who remember, I the mind. 
It is not surprising if something that is not myself is far from me, but what is nearer to me than myself? And yet, behold, I do not understand the very power of my own memory, though I cannot so much as name myself without it. For what shall I say when it is clear to me that I remember forgetfulness? Shall I say that something that I thus remember is not, however, in my memory? Or shall I say that forgetfulness is in my memory so that I might not forget? Both are absurd. What third way is there? How can I say that the image of forgetfulness is retained by my memory, but not forgetfulness itself, when I remember it? But how could I say this, given that when the image of anything is impressed upon the memory, the thing itself must first be present, so that the image might be impressed by it? For in this way do I remember Carthage and all the places I have been, and the faces of all the men I have seen, as well as the things that are reported by the other senses. Thus do I know of bodily health and sickness. For when these things were present, my memory received images from them. And now that they are present within me, I can look upon them and bring them back to mind when I recall them in their absence. Thus, if this forgetfulness is retained in the memory through its image, though not through itself, then clearly it was itself present once upon a time, so that its image might be taken hold of. But when it was present, how did it write its image in the memory, given that when forgetfulness is present, it erases even things that were already known? Nonetheless, however this is so, though it is inconceivable and inexplicable, I am certain that I remember forgetfulness itself, that by which our memory is erased. Chapter 17 How great is memory's power! How fearful a thing, O oh my God! How deep and boundless in its infinite and manifold nature! And this thing is the mind, and I am this. What then am I, O oh my God? What is my nature? I am a life that is various and manifold and exceedingly immense. Behold, in the countless fields, caves, and caverns of my memory, all countlessly full of countless kinds of things, either through images for all bodies, or by actual presence for the arts, or by certain notions or impressions for the affections of the mind, which, even when they are not felt by the mind, are retained by the memory, while whatever is in the memory is also in the mind. Over all these do I run and fly. I dive deep here or there as far as I can, and there is no end. So great is the force of memory, and so great the force of life, even in man's mortal life. What then shall I do, O you who are my true life, my God? I will pass even beyond this power of mine that is called memory. Yes, I will pass beyond it so that I might draw closer to you, O sweet light. What do you say to me? See, I am mounting upward through my mind toward you who abide above me. Yes, I now will pass beyond this power of mine, memory, for I desire to come to you when you may be reached, and there cling to you where one may cling unto you. Yes, even beasts and birds have memory, for otherwise they could not return to their dens and nests, nor the many other places they are accustomed to going, nor indeed could they be accustomed to anything if they did not have memory. Therefore I will pass beyond memory as well, so that I might come to him who has set me apart from the four-footed beasts, and has made me wiser than the birds of the air. Yes, I will pass beyond memory too, and where shall I find you, O truly good and certain sweetness? Where shall I find you? If I find you without my memory, then I do not retain you in my memory. And how shall I find you if I do not remember you? Chapter 18 If the woman who had lost her coin and sought it with a lamp had not remembered it, she would have never found it. For if she did not remember it, how could she have known whether the coin she discovered was the same coin? I remember seeking and finding many lost things. For when I was seeking any of them, I kept searching for what I was seeking for as long as I continued to answer, no, when I was asked, is this it, is that it, until at last it was brought to me. If I had not remembered, whatever it might be, I would not be able to find it, even when it was brought to me, for I would not recognize it. And this is always the case when we seek and find any lost thing. 
Nonetheless, when anything happens to be lost from sight, like any visible body, though not from memory, its image is still retained within us, and it is sought until it is restored to sight. And when it is found, it is recognized by the image that is within. Nor do we say that we have found what we have lost unless we recognize it, nor can we recognize it unless we remember it. But this was indeed lost to the eyes, but retained in memory. Chapter 19. But what about when the memory itself loses anything, as happens when we forget something and strive to recall it? In the end, where do we search but in memory itself? And if perhaps one thing is offered instead of another, it is there in memory itself that we reject it until we find what we are seeking. And when it comes to us, we say, this is it, which we could not say unless we recognized it, and this itself depends on our remembering it. Certainly then, we had forgotten it. Or, if the whole had not escaped us, do we not seek after the lost part by means of the part we still had, so that memory, aware that something was missing and maimed, as it were, by not having its former ability, now demands the restoration of what was missing? For example, if we see or think about someone whom we know, though we forget his name, we can try to recover it. Other things are not connected with him because they were not normally thought about along with him. Thus, they are rejected until an object presents itself to memory, which then rests upon it, having found the name it was looking for. And where does it come from if not from memory itself? Indeed, even when we recognize it after being reminded of it by another person, it comes from there too. For we do not believe that it is something new, but rather upon recollection, we accept that this was the correct name. However, if it had been completely blotted from our mind, we would not be able to remember it, even would remind it of what it is. For we have not yet completely forgotten whatever it is that we still remember that we have forgotten. Therefore, the only thing we cannot seek out in memory is what we have utterly forgotten and lost. Chapter 20 How then do I seek you, O Lord? For when I seek you, my God, I seek a truly happy life. I will seek you so that my soul might live. For my body lives by my soul, and my soul lives by you. How then do I seek the happy life? Indeed, I do not have it until I can say, when I ought, this is it, enough. How do I seek it? Do I do so by remembrance as though I had forgotten it, remembering that I had forgotten it? Or do I do so by desiring to discover it like some unknown thing which I either have never known or have so forgotten that I do not even remember that I have forgotten it? Do not all men wish to have a happy life? Is it not true that nobody does not altogether fail to will it? How do they who will it know it? Where did they see it, they who so love it? Truly we have it, though I do not know how. Yes, there are those who are happy because they have a happy life, and those who are blessedly happy in hope. Those who hope have it in a lower way than those who truly have it, yet they are better off than those who lack happiness both in deed and in hope. Yet even these people, if they did not have happiness in some way, would not choose to be happy, which they most certainly do. Therefore, they have known it, though I know not how, and thus they have it by some sort of knowledge, though I know not what. And I am perplexed as to whether it is in memory, for if it is there, then we were happy once upon a time. I am not asking, though, whether this would be individually or in that man who first sinned, in whom we also all have died, and from whom we are all born in misery. Rather, I am only asking whether the happy life is to be found in memory, for we would not love it if we did not know it. We hear the name, and we all confess that we desire the thing, for we are not delighted by a mere sound. Indeed, when a Greek hears it in Latin, he feels no delight, for he does not know what is said. But we Latin speakers are delighted, just as the other man would be if he heard it in Greek. This is because the very thing itself that Greeks, Latins, and all men who speak whatsoever tongue long for so earnestly is neither Greek nor Latin, 
Therefore, all know it, for if they could all with one voice answer the question, do you wish to be happy? They would respond, yes. And the only way that this could be is if the very thing so named is retained in their memory. Chapter 21. But is this akin to how the person who has seen Carthage remembers it? No, for a happy life is not seen with the eye, for it is not a body. Therefore, is it like how we remember numbers? No, for we do not seek out the numbers that we already have in our knowledge, but when we have a happy life in our knowledge, we love it and even more desire to attain it so that we might indeed be happy. Thus, is it like how we remember eloquence? No, for although when we hear this name too, some can call the thing to mind, even though they are not eloquent, but only desire to be so, thus showing that it is in their knowledge, nonetheless, these men have by their bodily senses observed others to be eloquent, have taken delight in this, and desire to be like them, though, indeed, they would not feel delight without having some inward knowledge of it, nor would they wish to be like them without feeling such delight. However, no bodily sense enables us to experience the happy life in others. Therefore, is it like when we remember joy? Perhaps, for I remember my joy even when I am sad, as I remember the happiness of a happy life even when I am unhappy. Nor did I ever see, hear, smell, taste, or touch my joy with any bodily sense. Rather, I experienced it in my mind when I rejoiced, and the knowledge of it clung to my memory so that I can recall it with disgust sometimes, with longing at other times, depending on the nature of the things that I remember that I enjoyed. For I have even been immersed in a kind of joy from foul things, though I now detest and curse it. But at other times I have experienced joy in good and honest things, which I recall with longing, though they are perhaps no longer present, thus recalling my former joy with sorrow. Therefore, where and when did I experience my happy life so that I now remember, love, and long for it? Nor is it I alone or a few other people who wish to be happy. It is all men who do this. But if we did not know this by some certain knowledge, we would not desire it with so certain a will. But how is it that if you ask two men if they would go to war, one would perhaps say that he would, yet the other would not? Whereas if they were asked if they would like to be happy, both would instantly, without any doubt, say that they would. And indeed, the one would go to war and the other not go to war for no other reason than to be happy. Is it perhaps that one seeks joy in this thing and another seeks it in another while all agree in their desire to be happy, just as they would agree in saying, if they were asked, that they wish to have joy, which they call the happy life? Therefore, although one man obtains this joy by one means and another man by another means, all have one end which they strive to attain, namely joy. And since all must say they have experienced this thing, it is found in memory and recognized whenever one speaks the word, a happy life. Okay, so in the passage from which we heard, we have this meditation to begin with on uh, forgetfulness and memory. And at first you might think he's just being kind of cute or he's being kind of cheeky. How could this possibly be of service to us in our own spiritual journey? But I would say just kind of bear with him here for a second uh, because he's trying to evaluate the ways in which different things lodge in our minds or lodge in our memories so we can know things in different ways. And this is all kind of evident to our own experience because you can know a thing, you know, in a kind of superficial way or you can know it in a more profound way or you can know something in a very, very acute existential way. And I think he's kind of getting at that. So he'll say, all right, we can have conceptual knowledge even of something that's opposite from another thing that we have conceptual knowledge of. So I can know like black and white at the same time or in different respects. And, and I can kind of compare those things and I can, you know, 
I can put those things together as it were, pull those things apart in my reasoning, whereas those things can't be together in the same kind of physical object, at least not in the same way and in the same time. So St. Augustine's going to, you know, work on all these different concepts. In a certain sense, he could be toiling with himself, uh, and he makes a direct reference there to Genesis 3 and the punishment of Adam, that you'll have to till the soil. Uh, He's talking about tilling the soil of his soul. But I think it kind of um, registers in our own reading as... I don't know, like a a kind of marvel or wonderment at his capacity to work through these difficult things, all in search of the one true God and all in search of the God who crowns his experience of reality, even while himself transcending that experience of reality. So I don't know, Father Jacob Bertrand, in your reading of St. Augustine in his progress through this upward movement as he tries to discern God at the height of his experience, if there are particular thoughts that that dawn on your mind. I like the... Oh, I say things sometimes like I like as if my liking or disliking of something matters, you know, with respect to its relevance or truth. But I like the the toil image here of, you know, toiling the soil of his soul, but also the toiling to know who God is. I think sometimes there can be a sort of intellectual, spiritual laziness where we think that it's just a personal relationship with God. And well, it's like maybe, but it's also, you know, God wants us to know him and that might, you know, we should challenge our minds, expand our minds. And we see Augustine doing this. We've seen him doing it all the time. Also, this, this, the idea of memory in the spiritual life is really, I think, forgotten in ways, you know, what we remember, how we know, what we're pursuing, what we're what we're chasing. And there's also the reality of the sort of what like purification of the memory. And we I think we talked about this on, in some previous episodes, the sort of like cleansing or or washing clean of our of our mind such that it might be filled with the things of God. So as as he talks about memory, that comes to the fore for me because his his mind has been sort of so clouded in ways we have, we can't forget that the Lord wants to use, uses, heals our memories to lead us to him. And often there's an attachment to sin. And as we're, you know, growing in relationship to Christ, a sort of shame that goes with our sin and past sin, but you know, that's, that's not the end, you know, it's not what God's moving us to. So all of that is kind of like swirling around in, in my mind as I'm reading St. Augustine and listening to him on, on memory and moving towards Christ in it. Yeah, and and he does the thing where he's examining the different ways in which memory works or the different senses in which memory is operative. I found this very fascinating because, again, you know, you've probably had the experience, listener, of, you know, making a list of things that you have to do later in the day. And when you return to the list, you realize at some level that you've forgotten an item or two. And even as you come up with further items that could have been part of your list, you realize that those missing items, whether one or two, are still not present, and it causes in you a kind of unrest, it causes in you a kind of frustration, or whatever it is. Um, and it's, it's fascinating that we can remember what we've forgotten, or we can remember that we have forgotten, or yeah, just so many ways in which reality interfaces with our memory. But ultimately, like you might ask, like, well, what's the point of it? Are we just meant to be tortured by the things that we've forgotten? No, the point is that we have purchase on the real. Um, And I think that Augustine's trying to encourage us to cultivate this kind of memory, not just, I know a bunch of discrete facts, or I know a bunch of historical events that transpired in the past, because cool, I mean, but we have history books for those things. So whether you tell me or the history book tells me, it doesn't matter too terribly much. But what I do want from you, from your humanity, is a kind of true-to-life memory, 
I, I want you to be able to look back on your past and see how God is present, to see how he is at work. So that way you can tell me something of his mercy. You can tell me how he has been on the move in your life, how he's brought you from then to now. Because we also have a tendency sometimes to tinker with our memory, to falsify our memory. And you hear people recount things in the past and you recognize, like, that's not true. I was there with you and it wasn't like that, you know? So I think Augustine is trying to be true before his God. And he is permitting the Lord to work on his memory to kind of retell or re-narrate in his own life the story of his own vocation, the story of his own conversion. So, yeah, what's your advice for, for cultivating this kind of true-to-life memory or a memory that actually matters? Yeah, we don't want to build uh, memories in that way. Like, we don't want to kind of recreate the past into something that wasn't or something that, you know, kind of create what we think might have happened or... Um, just kind of make it better than it was or worse than it was or that sort of thing. And we see, I think Augustine here is a good guide yet again. You know, his confessions are really a sort of memory of his growing up, of his life unto this point. And looking back at, and sort of investigating and opening our memories, and and that's all great. And I think it's only great when we when we do that with respect to seeing how it is that the Lord's hand has been guiding and shaping and forming. And that doesn't mean that we whitewash our mistakes or, you know, we we've pretend that we've been perfect in some sort of way. But I think here what St. Augustine is, is pointing us to is that reflecting on our memories, looking at our memories, opening our minds to our memories, if we could say it that sort of way, is is ultimately to see God's handiwork in our lives and to see God's care for us in our lives. Otherwise, it's sort of like, it just becomes kind of like an existential exercise without any sort of like purpose or end in mind. And and there is an end, and that end is coming to know and and love God more more deeply, worship him more reverently. So yeah, we don't want to use it as just a sort of like trip down memory lane or a sort of way to manipulate what happened, but as an opportunity to see, you know, the the sort of goodness of God at work. Yeah, and it's it's just, I mean, it's directly in that direction. Directly in that direction, he says, like he knows more words than three, uh, that we'll head with St. Augustine because he'll then talk about happiness. So he's gone through these different ways in which a thing can lodge in the memory. So he's like, you know, memory of sense or like memory of math or memory of the liberal arts. You know, he's talking about these different things that we remember and how we come to know them. But then he's like, but what about happiness? Like, why is it that we all have a kind of memory of happiness or nostalgia for happiness? Or at the very least, we have a taste for happiness, which continues to animate our present desires and pursuits. And he'll say that it's like it's like our memory of joy, that we can remember past joys. And even when at present we are sorrowful, still we can kind of repose with those past joys. And they bring us a modicum of joy. And so he says, happiness is like this. I mean, we often compare joy and happiness, not important for these present purposes. But what we're trying to focus on is the fact that whenever we pursue something, we're pursuing a kind of happiness. We're pursuing that thing because we think that it corresponds to our humanity, that's going to build us up in our humanity, that's going to kind of perfect our humanity. And he's saying that, that our memory for happiness, our kind of understanding of happiness at some basic, even primordial level is essential for our, our progress as an individual, you know, and as a community, because we all want to be happy and we all want to make the connections between our present pursuits and a future happiness. So I find this to be very, very precious as a kind of summation of these 10 books where St. Augustine is describing his life before the final three books in which he is describing sacred scripture. So yeah, speak a little bit about this happiness, which is at the heart of his pursuits. 
when I think about happiness and when St. Augustine thinks about happiness or the things that make me or him or whomever happy, it's like, what is the source of that? And, you know, as he's talking about memory, it just calls to mind that happiness and our pursuit and desire for is somehow kind of situated in like some sort of like nostalgia for moments in our lives that actually make us happy, that fulfill us, that affirm us, that make us or help us to understand that we're loved. And the human heart is such that it desires that in a sort of unending way. And and the memory is, you know, often like when I think about well, what makes me happy in my life and what am I like, how am I looking for happiness? My mind automatically goes back to things of the past that have have satisfied. And, and I don't want to say like completed me in that sort of sense, but like, you know, there's a wholeness to it. And it's interesting to think on, in, ter- in these terms when St. Augustine's talking about happiness as a sort of future prospect or current, but like a future prospect, like what are we after? But also with regard to our memories, um, how those interact and how those interplay. And I think as, yeah, as human beings, as men and women, the Lord allows us to sort of taste in different ways through different people and different encounters of of what is fulfilling, what is good, what's beautiful. And as a way, not, not to hold a carrot on a stick out in front of us in a sort of kind of like a masochistic way as something we'll never attain to, but as something to chase after, you know, namely found in him, but as as something to chase after, to remind us like, yeah, this is what we're for. This is what we're made for. And as you said, Father Gregory, as we're, you know, we're finishing book 10 or not yet, but, you know, we're, we're finishing this sort of especially autobiographical section with book 10 before moving to 11. I think Augustine might, you know, has the same experience of like, yeah, this is the Lord. He's been at work. These are the people whom I love. They've been at work. The Lord has been at work through them and the varied sort of terrain of the journey. It's all there, but it's pointing me to something. Yeah. I I think too of um, some findings of positive psychology, which suggests that if you recollect yourself and things for which you're grateful, you have a higher chance of being happy. And then they usually just describe it in terms of positive emotion or kind of, um, emotional integration. And uh, that's not insignificant. You know, like we can learn something from these social sciences and they have a kind of application in our spiritual existence. And I think that what you have here with with St. Augustine, he's cultivating a sacred sense of memory, a kind of true to life memory. He's revisiting his past. He's acknowledging how God has been present, how Christ has been in pursuit. And he's offering one, his repentance, certainly, as he very candidly acknowledges all of his many sins and vices, but also, you know, like beyond repentance, gratitude. Gratitude for the Lord who led him to the present moment, not so that he can put himself on a pedestal and give back pats, you know, as long as the day is, uh, but so that he can, you know, abide in those goods, so that he can lay firmer hold of those goods, and so that he can appropriate those goods in his service of the people of God and his search for sanctity, which is inspiring. So we're hoping for the same thing for you, listener. We're praying for the same thing as we progress together through this great work and profit from its many lessons in faith. So know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us and we'll catch you next time on Catholic Classics.